Chapters twenty two and twenty three of The Mistress of Shenston by Florence Barclay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty two. Lord Ingleby's Wife. The journey down from town had been as satisfactorily rapid as even J. Merrith could desire. He had caught the train at Charing Cross by five seconds. The hour's run passed quickly in glowing anticipation of that which was brought nearer by every turn of the wheels. Myra's telegram was drawn from his pocket-book many times. Each word seemed fraught with tender meaning. Come to me at once. It was so exactly Myra's simple direct method of expression. Most people would have said, Come here, or come to Shenston, or merely come. Come to me seemed a tender though unconscious response to his resolution of the night before. I will arise and go to my beloved now that the parting was nearly over he realized how terrible had been the blank of three weeks spent apart from myra her sweet personality was so knit into his life that he needed her not at any particular time or in any particular way but always as the air he breathed or as the light which made the day and she he drew a well-worn letter from his pocket-book the only letter he had ever had from myra i shall always want you it said but i could never send unless the coming would mean happiness for you yet she had sent then she had happiness in store for him had she instinctively realized his change of mind or had she gauged his desperate hunger by her own and understood that the satisfying of that must mean happiness whatever else of sorrow might lie in the background but there should be no background of anything but perfect joy when myra was his wife would he not have the turning of the fair leaves of her book of life each page should unfold fresh happiness hold new surprises as to what life and love could mean he would know how to guard her from the faintest shadow of disillusion even now it was his right to keep her from that how much after all should he tell her of the heart-searchings of these wretched weeks last night he had meant to tell her everything he had meant to say i have sinned against heaven the heaven of our love and before thee and am no more worthy but was it not essential to a woman's happiness to believe the man she loved to be in all ways worthy out of his pocket came again the well-worn letter i know you decided as you felt right wrote myra why perplex her with explanations let the dead past bury its dead no need to cloud even momentarily the joy with which they could now go forward into a new life and what a life wedded life with myra shenston junction shouted a porter and jim Earth was across the platform before the train had stopped the tandem ponies waited outside the station and this time jim Earth gathered up the reins with a gay smile flicking the leader lightly before he had said i never drive other people's ponies in response to her ladyship's message but now all that's mine is thine laddie he whistled huntington tower as he drove between the hayfields sprays of overhanging traveller's joy brushed his shoulder in the narrow lanes it was good to be alive on such a day it was good not to be leaving england in england's most perfect weather should he take her home to scotland for their honeymoon or down to cornwall what a jolly little church evidently myra never slacked pace for a gate how the ponies dashed through and into the avenue poor mrs o'mara it had been difficult to be civil to her when she had appeared instead of myra to give him tea 
of course scotland would be jolly with so much to show her but cornwall meant more in its associations yes he would arrange for the honeymoon in cornwall be married in the morning up in town no fuss then go straight down to the old moorhead inn and after dinner they would sit in the honeysuckle arbour and Grotely showed him into myra's sitting-room she was not there he walked over to the mantelpiece it seemed years since that evening when in a sudden fury against fate he had crashed his fists upon its marble edge he raised his eyes to lord ingleby's portrait poor old chap he looked so content and so pleased with himself and his little dog but he must have always appeared more like myra's father than her than anything else on the mantelpiece lay a telegram after the manner of leisurely country post-offices the full address was written on the envelope it caught jim eyre's eye and hardly conscious of doing so he took it up and read it lady ingleby shenston park england he laid it down england he wondered idly who could have been wiring her from abroad then he turned he had not heard her enter but she was standing behind him myra he cried and caught her to his heart the rapture and relief of that moment were unspeakable no words seemed possible he could only strain her to him silently with all his strength and realize that she was safely there at last myra had lifted her arms and laid them lightly about his neck hiding her face upon his breast he never knew exactly when he began to realize a subtle change about the quality of her embrace the woman's passionate tenderness seemed missing it rather resembled the trustful clinging of a little child an uneasy foreboding for which he could not account assailed jim earth kiss me myra he said peremptorily and she lifting her sweet face to his kissed him at once but it was the pure loving kiss of a little child then she withdrew herself from his embrace and standing back he looked at her perplexed the light upon her face seemed hardly earthly oh jim she said god's ways are wonderful i have such news for you my friend i thank god it came before you had gone beyond recall and i who had been the one unwittingly to add so terribly to the weight of the lifelong cross you had to bear am privileged to be the one to lift it quite away jim you did not do it jim earth gazed at her in troubled amazement into his mind involuntarily came the awesome scotch word fay i did not do what dear he asked gently as if he were speaking to a little child whom he was anxious not to frighten you did not kill michael what makes you think i did not kill michael dear questioned jim earth gently because said myra with clasped hands michael is alive dearest heart said jim earth tenderly you are not well these awful three weeks and what went before have been too much for you the strain has upset you i was a brute to go off and leave you but you knew i did what i thought right at the time didn't you myra only now i see the whole thing quite differently your view was the true one we ought to have acted upon it and been married at once oh jim said myra thank god we didn't it would have been so terrible now it must have been a case of even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me in our unconscious ignorance we might have gone away together not knowing michael was alive beads of perspiration stood on jim Eyre's forehead 
my darling you are ill he said in a voice of agonized anxiety i am afraid you are very ill do sit down quietly on the couch and let me ring i must speak to the omera woman or somebody why didn't the fools let me know have you been ill all these weeks myra let him place her on the couch smiling up at him reassuringly as he stood before her you must not ring the bell jim she said maggie is at the lodge and grotely would be so astonished i am quite well he looked around in man-like helplessness yet feeling something must be done a long ivory fan of exquisite workmanship lay on a table near he caught it up and handed it to her she took it and to please him opened it fanning herself gently as she talked i am not ill jim really dear i am not i am only strangely happy and thankful it seems too wonderful for our poor earthly hearts to understand and i am a little frightened about the future but you will help me to face that i know and i am rather worried about little things i have done wrong it seems foolish but as soon as i realized michael was coming home i became conscious of hosts of sins of omission and i scarcely know where to begin to set them right and the worst of all is jim we have lost little peter's grave no one seems able to locate it it is so trying of the gardeners and so wrong of me because of course i ought to have planted it with flowers and michael would have expected a little marble slab by now but i stupidly was too ill to see the funeral and now anson declares they put him in the plantation and george swears it was in the shrubbery i have been consulting grotely who always has ideas and expresses them so well and he says choose a suitable spot milady order a handsome tomb plant it with choice flowers and who's to be the wiser till the resurrection grotely is always resourceful but of course i never deceive michael fancy little peter rising from the shrubbery when michael had mourned for years over a marble tomb on the lawn but it really is a great worry they must all begin digging and keep on until they find something definite it will be good for the shrubbery and the plantation like the silly old man in the parable no i mean fable who pretended he had a hidden treasure oh jim don't look so distressed i ought not to pour out all these trivial things to you but since i have known michael is coming back my mind seems to have become foolish and trivial again michael always has that effect upon me because though he himself is so great and clever he really thinks trivial and unimportant things are a woman's vocation in life but oh jim jim Earth, with you i am always lifted straight to the big things and our big thing to-day is this that you never killed michael do you remember telling me how as you lay in your tent recovering from the fever if someone could have come in and told you michael was alive and well and that you had not killed him after all you would have given your life for the relief of that moment well i am that someone and this is the moment and when i first had the telegram i could think of nothing absolutely nothing jim but what it would be to you what telegram gasped jim Earth. in heaven's name myra what do you mean michael's telegram it lies on the mantelpiece read it jim jim Earth turned took up the telegram and drew it from the envelope with steady fingers he still thought myra was raving he read it through slowly the wording was unmistakable but he read it through again 
as he did so he slightly turned so that his back was toward the couch the blow was so stupendous he could only realize one thing for the moment that the woman who watched him read it must not as yet see his face she spoke is it not almost impossible to believe jim ronald and billy were lunching here when it came billy seemed stunned but ronny was delighted he said he had always believed the first men to rush in had been captured and that no actual proofs of michael's death had ever been found they never explained to me before that there had been no funeral i suppose they thought it would seem more horrible but i never take much account of bodies if it weren't for the burden of having a weird little urn about and wondering what to do with it i should approve of cremation i sometimes felt i ought to make a pilgrimage to see the grave i knew michael would have wished it he sets much store by graves all the inglebys lie in family vaults that makes it worse about peter ronny went up to town at once to telegraph out the money billy went with him do you think five hundred is enough jim jim are you not thankful do say something jim jim earth put back the telegram upon the mantelpiece his big hand shook what is veritas he asked without looking round that is our private code jim michael's and mine my mother once wired to me in michael's name and to him in mine poor mamma often does eccentric things to get her own way and it made complications michael was very much annoyed so we settled always to sign important telegrams veritas which means this is really from me then your husband is coming home to you said jim earth slowly yes jim the sweet voice faltered for the first time and grew tremulous michael is coming home then jim earth turned round and faced her squarely myra had never seen anything so terrible as his face you are mine he said not his myra looked up at him in dumb sorrowful appeal she closed the ivory fan clasping her hands upon it the unquestioning finality of her patient silence goaded jim earth to madness and let loose the torrent of his fierce wild protest against this inevitable this unrelenting fate you are mine he said not his your love is mine your body is mine your whole life is mine i will not leave you to another man ah oh, i know i said we could not marry i know i said i should go abroad but you would have remained faithful to me and i to you we might have been apart we might have been lonely we might have been at different ends of the earth but we should have been each other's i could have left you to loneliness but by god i will not leave you to another myra rose moved forward a few steps and stood leaning her arm upon the mantelpiece and looking down upon the bank of ferns and lilies hush jim she said gently you forget to whom you are speaking i am speaking cried jim earth in furious desperation to the woman i have won for my own and who is mine and none others if it had not been for my pride and my folly we should have been married by now married myra and far away i left you i know but by heaven i may as well tell you all now it was pride damnable false pride that drove me away i always meant to come back i was waiting for you to send 
but anyhow i should have come back would to god i had done as you implored me to do by now we should have been together out of reach of this cursed telegram and far away myra slowly lifted her eyes and looked at him he blinded by pain and passion failed to mark the look or he might have taken warning as it was he rushed on headlong myra very white with eyelids lowered leaned against the mantelpiece slowly furling and unfurling the ivory fan but darling urged jim earth it is not yet too late oh myra i have loved you so our love has been so wonderful have i not taught you what love is the poor cold travesty you knew before that was not love oh myra you will come away with me my own beloved you won't put me through the hell of leaving you to another man myra look at me say you will come then lady ingleby slowly closed the fan grasping it firmly in her right hand she threw back her head and looked jim earth full in the eyes so this is your love she said this is what it means then i thank god i have hitherto only known the cold travesty which at least has kept me pure and held me high what would you drag me down to the level of the woman you have scorned for a dozen years and dragging me down would you also trail with me in the mire the noble name of the man whom you have ventured to call friend my husband may not have given me much of those things a woman desires but he has trusted me with his name and with his honour he has left me mistress of his home when he comes back he will find me what he himself made me mistress of shenston he will find me where he left me awaiting his return you are no longer speaking to a widow lord earth nor to a woman left desolate you are speaking to lord ingleby's wife and you may as well learn how lord ingleby's wife guards lord ingleby's name and defends her own honour and his she lifted her hand swiftly and struck him with the ivory fan twice across the cheek traitor she said and coward leave this house and never set foot in it again jim earth staggered back his face livid ashen his hand involuntarily raised to ward off a third blow then the furious blood surged back two crimson streaks marked his cheek he sprang forward with a swift movement caught the fan from lady ingleby's hands and whirled it above his head his eyes blazed into hers for a moment she thought he was going to strike her she neither flinched nor moved only the faintest smile curved the corners of her mouth into a scornful question then jim earth gripped the fan in both hands with a twist of his strong fingers snapped it in half the halves into quarters and again with another wrench crushed those into a hundred fragments flung them at her feet and turning on his heel left the room and left the house twenty three what billy knew ronald and billy had spoken but little as they sped to the railway station earlier on that afternoon rummy go volunteered ronald launching the tentative comment into the somewhat oppressive silence billy made no rejoinder why did you insist on coming with me asked ronald i'm not coming with you replied billy laconically where then billy why so tragic are you going to leap from london bridge don't do it billy boy you never had a chance you were merely a nice kid i'm the chap who might be tragic and see 
i'm going to the bank to dispatch the wherewithal for bringing the old boy back take example by my fortitude billy billy's explosion when it came was so violent so choice and so unlike billy that ronald relapsed into wondering silence but once in the train locked into an empty first-class smoker billy turned a white face to his friend ronnie he said i am going straight to sir derrick brand he is the only man i know with a head on his shoulders thank you said ronnie i suppose i dandle mine on my knee but why this urgent need of a man with his head so uniquely placed because said billy that telegram is a lie nonsense billy the wish is father to the thought oh shame on you billy poor old ingleby it's a lie repeated billy doggedly but look objected ronald unfolding the telegram here you are veritas what do you make of that veritas be hanged said billy it's a lie and we've got to find out what damned rascal has sent it but what possible reason have you to throw doubt on it inquired ronald gravely oh confound you burst out billy at last i picked up the pieces a very nervous white-faced young man sat in the green leather armchair in dr brand's consulting-room he had shown the telegram and jerked out a few incoherent sentences after which sir derrick by means of carefully chosen questions had arrived at the main facts he now sat at his table considering them then turning in his revolving chair he looked steadily at billy cathcart he said quietly what reason have you for being so certain of lord ingleby's death and that this telegram is therefore a forgery billy moistened his lips oh confound it he said i picked up the pieces i see said sir derrick and looked away i have never told a soul said billy it's not a pretty story but i can give you details if you like i think you had better give me details said sir derrick gravely so with white lips billy gave them the doctor rose buttoning his coat then he poured out a glass of water and handed it to billy come he said fortunately i know a very cute detective from our own london force who happens just now to be in cairo we must go to scotland yard for his address and a code in fact we had better work it through them you have done the right thing billy and done it promptly but we have no time to lose twenty-four hours later the doctor called at shenston park he had telegraphed his train requesting to be met by the motor and he now asked the chauffeur to wait at the door in order to take him back to the station i could only come between trains he explained to lady ingleby so you must forgive the short notice and the peremptory tone of my telegram i could not risk missing you i have something of great importance to communicate the doctor waited a moment hardly knowing how to proceed he had seen myra ingleby under many varying conditions he knew her well and she was a woman so invariably true to herself that he expected to be able to foresee exactly how she would act under any given combination of circumstances in this undreamed-of development of lord ingleby's return he anticipated finding her gently acquiescent eagerly ready to resume again the duties of wifehood with no thought of herself but filled with anxious desire in all things to please the man who with his whims and fancies his foibles and ideas had for nine months passed completely out of her life derrick brand had expected to find lady ingleby in the mood of a typical april day 
sunshine and showers rapidly alternating whimsical smiles succeeded by ready tears then with lashes still wet gay laughter at some mistake of her own or at incongruous behaviour on the part of her devoted but erratic household speedily followed by pathetic anxiety over her own supposed shortcomings in view of lord ingleby's requirements on his return instead of this charming personification of unselfish inconsequent tender femininity the doctor found himself confronted by a calm cold woman with hard unseeing eyes a woman in whom something had died and dying had slain all the best and truest in her womanhood another man was the prompt conclusion at which the doctor arrived and this conclusion coupled with the exigency of his own pressing engagements brought him without preamble very promptly to the point lady ingleby he said a cruel and heartless wrong has been done you by a despicable scoundrel for whom no retribution would be too severe i am perfectly aware of that replied lady ingleby calmly but i fail to understand sir derrick why you should consider it necessary to come down here in order to discuss it this most unexpected reply for a moment completely nonplussed the doctor but rapid mental adjustment formed an important part of his professional equipment i fear we are speaking at cross purposes he said gently forgive me if i appear to have trespassed upon a subject of which i have no knowledge whatever i am referring to the telegram received by you yesterday which led you to suppose the report of lord ingleby's death was a mistake and that he might shortly be returning home my husband is alive said lady ingleby he has telegraphed to me from cairo and i expect him back very soon for answer derrick brand drew from his pocket-book two telegrams i am bound to tell you at once dear lady ingleby he said that you have been cruelly deceived the message from cairo was a heartless fraud designed in order to obtain money billy cathcart had reason to suspect its genuineness and brought it to me i cabled at once to cairo with this result he laid two telegrams on the table before her the first is a copy of one we sent yesterday to a detective out there the second i received three hours ago no one not even billy has heard of its arrival i have brought it immediately to you lady ingleby slowly lifted the paper containing the first message she read it in silence watch cook's bank and arrest man personating lord ingleby who will call for draft of money cable particulars promptly the doctor observed her closely as she laid down the first message without comment and took up the second former valet of lord ingleby's arrested confesses to dispatch a fraudulent telegram cable instructions lady ingleby folded both papers and laid them on the table beside her the calm impassivity of the white face had undergone no change it must have been walker she said michael always considered him a scamp and shifty but i delighted in him because he played the banjo quite excellently and was so useful at parish entertainments michael took him abroad but had to dismiss him on landing he wrote and told me the fact but gave no reasons poor walker i do not wish him punished because i know michael would think it was largely my own fault for putting banjo playing before character if walker had written me a begging letter i should most likely have sent him the money i have a fatal habit of believing in people and of wanting everybody to be happy then as if these last words recalled a momentarily forgotten wound the stony apathy returned to voice and face if michael is not coming back said lady ingleby i am indeed alone 
the doctor rose and stood looking down upon her perplexed and sorrowful is there not someone who should be told immediately of this change of affairs lady ingleby he asked gravely no one she replied emphatically there is nobody whom it concerns intimately excepting myself and not many know of the arrival of yesterday's news i wrote to jane and i suppose the boys told it at overdean if by any chance it gets into the papers we must send a contradiction but no explanation please i dislike the publication of wrong-doing it only leads to imitation and repetition besides even a poor worm of a valet should be shielded if possible from public execration we could not explain the extenuating circumstances i do not suppose the news has become widely known said the doctor your household heard of it of course yes replied lady ingleby ah that reminds me i must stop operations in the shrubbery and plantation there is no object in little peter having a grave when his master has none this was absolutely unintelligible to the doctor but at such times he never asked unnecessary questions for his own enlightenment so after all sir derrick added lady ingleby peter was right yes said the doctor little peter was not mistaken had i remembered him i might have doubted the telegram remarked lady ingleby what can have aroused billy's suspicions like peter said the doctor billy had from the first felt very sure do not mention to him that i told you the doubts originated with him he is a sensitive lad and the whole thing has greatly distressed him dear billy said lady ingleby the doctor glanced at the clock and buttoned his coat he had one minute to spare my friend he said a second time i have come as the bearer of evil tidings not evil replied myra in a tone of hopeless sadness this is not a world to which we could possibly desire the return of one we love there is nothing wrong with the world said the doctor our individual heaven or hell is brought about by our own actions or by the actions of others amended lady ingleby bitterly or by the actions of others agreed the doctor but even then we cannot be completely happy unless we are true to our best selves nor wholly miserable unless to our own ideals we become false i fear i must be off but i do not like leaving you thus alone lady ingleby glanced at the clock rose and gave him her hand you have been more than kind sir derrick in coming to me yourself i shall never forget it and i am expecting jane champion dalmaine i mean why do one's friends get married any minute she is coming direct from town the phaeton has gone to the station to meet her good said the doctor and clasped her hand with the strong silent sympathy of a man who desiring to help yet realizes himself in the presence of a grief he is powerless either to understand or to assuage good very good he said as he stepped into the motor remarking to the chauffeur we have nine minutes and if we miss the train i must ask you to run me up to town and he said it a third time even more emphatically when he had recovered from his surprise at that which he saw as the motor flew down the avenue for after passing lady ingleby's phaeton returning from the station empty excepting for a travelling coat and alligator bag left upon the seat he saw the honourable mrs dalmaine walking slowly beneath the trees in earnest conversation with a very tall man who carried his hat letting the breeze blow through his thick rumpled hair 
both were too preoccupied to notice the motor but as the man turned his haggard face toward his companion the doctor saw in it the same stony look of hopeless despair which had grieved and baffled him in lady ingleby's the two were slowly wending their way toward the house by a path leading down to the terrace evidently the man thought the doctor well i am glad jane has him in tow poor souls providence has placed them in wise hands if faithful counsel and honest plain speaking can avail them anything they will undoubtedly receive both from our good jane providence also arranged that the london express was one minute late and the doctor caught it whereat the chauffeur rejoiced for he was walking out with her ladyship's maid whose evening off it chanced to be the all-important events of life are apt to hang upon the happenings of one minute End of chapters twenty two and twenty three